Father, we thank you for this day. We ask, Father, that you would bless our time together, that we would learn, that we would be a changed people when we walk out these doors, that what we say, what we do would please you, that we would truly be representation of what you want us to be in this world, a family that loves you, that loves each other, and that makes you known through our love one for another. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so when Mike asked me a few weeks back if I'd be willing to talk today, I thought a little bit about what might be good. And I thought back, I spoke last year on January 1st, which was obviously one day different than this. Uh, that was the beginning of the new year. Today is the end of an old year. And tomorrow is January. And many of you know, many of you, I think know, January is named for the Roman god Janus. Janus is the god you've seen that has two heads, one looking one way, one looking the other. And that was uh, the gateway. You're looking at the past to gain knowledge, look forward to the future. And so that's kind of where we are today. We're going to look back a little bit to get ready to understand where we are now and where we're going to be in the future. Hopefully gain from that knowledge and move forward in a way that's pleasing to God. What we're going to do today is look back further. We're going to look back a couple of thousand years for a, br a very brief span of time, very brief portion of time. And I want you, before we do that, to think a minute. I remember teaching a, a, an adult Sunday school class years ago, and I said this one thing. I said, don't ever lose the awe, A-W-E, don't ever lose the awe of what it is we believe of the salvation that we claim to experience. Don't lose the awe. And I wonder sometimes if we don't do that. When we look back a couple of thousand years ago and realize that what happened in just a handful of years changed everything. It changed what, everything we do today. We would not be here today like this if that hadn't happened. Impossible. And so what we really say that we believe is an amazing thing. And we want to look back a little bit today and, 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 and think about that. So uh, let's go to the first slide, if you will, Matt. Now, I have a tendency to speak from my slides. And I had to get those to Matt a few days ago. Uh, and so I prepared a bunch of notes, and I thought, well, I'm going to bring them up with me. They're all over there on the, on the seat. So if I mess up, you'll say I should have brought my notes with me. But <laughs> I tend to do better if I just look at the slides and let it. Remember when you're a kid, you go for an exam, and you can't wait to get that paper because your faint brain is so full, you want to just get all that stuff written out before you forget it. So uh, let's look at some familiar language. This is, these are some terms that we use. We throw these terms around. We're going to talk about kingdom living. And I remember my brother Jim Calhouner one time said to me when he was in seminary, they, one of the, uh, the sayings was, or the, the teachings was, what's the one thing? When, when, when they leave tomorrow, what's the one thing you want them to remember? I'm going to try and do that. I won't tell you what that is yet, but hopefully by the end you'll say, you know what that one thing is that I want you to remember tomorrow. But we'll start out by looking at this. These are terms that we know. Gospel, the glad tidings, son of God, savior, divine, God incarnate, Lord, peace, redeemer. And we throw these words around. That's our vernacular as Christians. We come together, we walk through the doors, and we put our holy faces on, and we use these terms. And we just, I don't want to say throw them around, but we use them. And the things that we use more frequently become common. And we sometimes don't think about what it is we're saying. 
So if you were to go back 2,000 years ago, just a few years before Jesus was born, these words were already in usage. These words did not start with the Bible. These are words that were used. The Romans knew these words. The Jewish people knew these words. Now, Matt, if you move to the next slide. Let's talk about what we mean. In the Bible, in the, in the book of Luke, you read about Augustus. The one sentence there, he taxed the world. And that's what causes Mary and Joseph to make their way to Bethlehem. I think you all remember that. Caesar the Augustus. Augustus is a title. Augustus is a title. It was given to him after he became the Caesar. Now, Augustus, uh, Caesar the Augustus was son of God. D.V. Phileas, son of God. This is a term that they knew. Augustus uh, was previously Octavian. Some of you know your Roman history a little bit. Octavian. And what's famous about Octavian? That's who defeated Antony and Cleopatra. That's when it became the Roman Empire rather than just the Roman Republic. At that point in time, the Senate gives him a new title. He is Caesar the Augustus, the venerated one. Later on, people know him as son of God. Why? Because he was adopted by Julius Caesar, a more famous Caesar to many people. Julius Caesar adopts him. Julius Caesar, when he dies, its claim became a god. You may or may not know that. That's why Augustus was son of God, son of a god. He's viewed as son of a god. So now, Matt, if you will just go to the next slide. Enter Jesus. And this is that little stretch of time that I was talking about that changes everything. He enters a, the dominant kingdom. Augustus calls out Pax Romana. We all know that from our little bit of history that we remember even probably from middle school. The peace of Rome. But what was the peace of Rome? They talked about peace too. We talk a lot about peace in Christian terms. They talked about peace, but it was peace through subjugation. We'll, we'll conquer you, then we'll give you peace. All right? You will be our subjects, you'll pay us tribute, you'll pay us taxes, we will give you peace, we will protect you. At the time he defeats uh, Antony and Cleopatra, shortly after that, he's called Savior of the World. These are not new things. These are not me making this up. You can go back and find this in written history. There are inscriptions that were on the, on the monuments. There were coins with the picture of, uh, of, of the Caesar with D.V. Phileas. These are things that were used. There are cups. There are things that we can find. So we know these things. So he is called Savior of the world. This is a few years before Jesus is born because he brings peace. And they reported it through the land. Caesar has brought peace. There have been civil wars and unrest. And so Caesar has brought this peace. So oftentimes, when we as a, as a church talk about these things, we know a little background, but we don't know context. And there's a big difference. If I stand here, and this is a picture, and you see this picture behind me, that's background. All right? How many of you remember Olin Mills? Do you remember, everybody remember Olin Mills? <laughs> and you take your kids to get a picture, and they're in front of this snow scene or whatever. That's background. They're not in the scene. All right? But context is when you're in it. And that's what we have to do a better job of, of understanding what it is we say we know, what we believe. 
we have to know the context, not just a little background. We read a little paragraph, at, at the end, maybe we have a Bible that has a, a paragraph about Corinth or something. We think we know the background. That's just a touch of what we should know. This is context. So Jesus enters into this world, and this person is being claimed Lord. We know that he is called Lord. We know that he is called Savior of the world. He has brought peace. So enter Jesus. And what does it say? You, could, you can find inscriptions that talk about the beginning of the gospel because of Augustus. That was a term that was used. Glad tidings. He has brought this peace. And suddenly now Mark writes these words down later. Jesus has ascended. Mark is writing these words down. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus the Messiah. That's what we believe. He enters into that realm of domination of the Roman Empire. And he offers an alternative kingdom. And he's going to go through life and he's going to demonstrate that kingdom. So here is the beginning of the gospel. This is euangelion. This is the word that was used about Augustus. This is the word that others, this is not just Augustus Caesar. You can go back to Alexander the Great and others. These were considered sons of God. That's why they, their feet didn't quite touch the ground. They were just a little bit different. All right? Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the what? The gospel of God. The gospel of God. Not the gospel of Rome. There was the gospel of Rome. Imperial worship. Cult worship for Caesar. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the gospel. So here's this alternative gospel that's being put out now to these Jewish people. Now, Matt, if you'll just change this slide for me. So... I threw this in because we're all familiar with uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and we, we see uh, Jesus' life, but as some critics of the church have pointed out, we love Christmas and we love Easter, but we kind of leave out everything in between in the Bible, and that's the life of Jesus and what he did. It, it, we, we talk a lot about his birth, we talk about his resurrection and dying on the cross for sins, but we really many times fail to study his life the way that we should. So here comes Jesus onto the scene, and, 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 and we know that he is son of God. We know that he offers peace and all these things. And we say this prayer every week. Our Father which is in heaven, hallowed, we know all of this. But what does it say? Thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, what? On earth. He's walking through this world. He not only teaches them to pray this prayer, he models the Lord's Prayer. He models it. He lives it. He shows them, whatever the cost, I will lay down my life to show you what it means for the kingdom of God to come to this earth. I will not resist the domination of the Roman Empire. We will not do that. That's not the kind of Messiah he's going to be. He models the Lord's Prayer till his death. All right? So we say it every week. We talk about the kingdom of God, and yet we talk about the church. So as we go back 2,000 years, we're looking at this sweeping time now. We've come to this little interval of time, these few years when Jesus is walking, and what, he's, what is he doing that shows us the importance of what we are to do once he leaves. Now let's move on to this next slide. As his ministry goes on, he walks. He lives this beautiful life. He, he identifies with the little man, the common man, the common woman, the poor, the down and out. 
He gives himself. He's, he shares of his time. He teaches him how to pray. He models all of this perfectly. And as this builds, he goes through these few years, and as this builds, he's this teacher. And the teachers at that era, or any time to this day, they're famous for using things in the background to teach. There might be an object. There might be something that they use to teach from. So he walks them to Caesarea Philippi. And I want us to take just a minute and look at this name because this is really important to us and what we're trying to talk about this morning. What, what do you see in the first word? You see Caesar, right? You see Caesar. Now, you see Philippi. Herod the Great is a name that we all know from the Bible. We know Herod is who orders the destruction of the babies, two years and younger, right? That's, how, that's Herod's name in the Bible. Herod, by this time, is dead. But he had a son, one of the four, Philip, the Tetrarch. And he names this city Caesarea Philippi. But what's important about this city is this is land, and I don't want to go too fast, but I want us to, 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 to slow down and think about this. This is land that has been given to Herod the Great, Philip's father, by Caesar the Augustus years earlier. Okay? August, or, uh, Herod the Great was a client ruler for Rome, and that's what they did. They have these, you might call them puppets, you might say. Uh, you keep the peace, and I'll take care of you. You get the taxes for me, and everything will be good. And that's what, how it's set up with Herod the Great. Caesar gives this land to Herod the Great. And what does Herod the Great do as a way of honoring Augustus Caesar, Caesar the Augustus? He builds temples to Augustus. He builds temples to Caesar. One of those is here. Okay, so Jesus walks them, this is like 20, 30 miles north of where a lot of his ministry was. It's up where the road branches off to go to Damascus, where Paul probably was walking. He walks them up there. There's another very famous thing about this site, and that was the gate, the gates of Hades. This was a site where, I won't, let's, we won't go into too much detail, but there was a cave there which, where, where the springs came out, and those springs were the initiation of the Jordan River. Okay? And that's where they thought that uh, uh, the, the, uh, the gods went in the wintertime. That's where they went. And that was the gate to Hades. That was the underworld. And that's where they thought they went. And that's where Jesus takes them to make this famous few-word statement that all of us have memorized since we were in middle school church which is what? He looks to Peter, and what does he say? Who do men say that I am? Now, remember what we've been talking about with Augustus, Caesar Augustus? Everywhere. Augustus is Lord. Augustus is Savior. Augustus is this. There's a temple to Augustus Caesar. All right? He says to Peter, or to the, to the, to the, the, the disciples, who does they say that I am? And what's Peter's famous remark? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Augustus, son of a God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now remember, by this time, Caesar Augustus is dead. Tiberius is reigning. He's dead. Julius Caesar is dead. 
Augustus was son of God because Julius Caesar had died. Therefore, he's son of God. Augustus is gone. Now it's Tiberius. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We throw that phrase around without understanding sometimes the background, the context of what's going on. This is a big deal. Now he says to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And upon what? Upon this rock I will build my church. Church, keep that in mind. And what will happen? The gates of Hades will not prevail or will not stop it. All right? Fast forward 2,000 years later. He said, the gates of Hades will not stop it. Here we are 2,000 years later. It progresses. It goes. It's going. It's building. That moment, he stands there in front of the gates of Hades, in front of the spring, the waters, that they thought was the entry to the underworld. Behind them somewhere is this temple to Augustus Caesar. And this proclamation is made. And out of that, he says, I will build my church Ecclesia, ecclesiastical, where we get the group of people that comes out. Nothing will stop it, all right? Now, if, let's go on, Matt, if you will. My wife asked me, does anybody read those quotes you put in the bulletin? Because if you speak, you have to pick some quotes. I said, well, they're going to today because I'm going to put them on the screen. <laughs> some of you like R.C. Sproul. And I tried to pick one from a different person that someone here might know or like. R.C. Sproul. The only way the kingdom of God is going to be manifest in this world before Christ comes is if we manifest it by the way we live as citizens of heaven and subjects of the king. If you don't like that one, you don't like him, go back to Jonathan Edwards. The seeking of the kingdom of God is the chief business of the Christian life. And one more, Matt. Many Christians have the mistaken notion that eternal life begins when they die, but that is not biblically accurate. Eternal life begins when we are born into the kingdom of God. When we say Jesus is son of God, when we say these things, it's not heard the same way. If you said that then, that was a big deal. Who else said that? Thomas? What did he say? My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Those were political statements in that era. Those were, that was taking on the government. That was taking on the kingdom of the world, so to speak. It was a big deal. We say those things so easily because we hang around in Christian circles and we're in America. But 2,000 years ago, that was a big deal to say that. My Lord and my God, my Master, my Savior, the one who gives me peace. That's what we say. Think of what it meant when they said it. Now, let's go on, Matt. Now, we want to say to the world, to the community around us, come and see. Come and see what this looks like at Bethel Presbyterian Church. Church. We don't use temple, church, the called out ones for God, the ones that Jesus is building together to create this ongoing power, this ongoing force in the world. That's us. We want to say to people, come and see us at Bethel. Let's go on, Matt. 
do we here reflect the genuine good news? I remember I said that there was the gospel of Rome, there was a gospel of Augustus, the good news that they proclaimed. He said, I've conquered land and sea and all of those things, right? Here we have someone who's conquered the grave. Instead of someone who conquers land and sea, someone has conquered the grave. Everything that you and I say we believe, everything is based on, for me, it's one fact. He's risen. If that's not true, what did Paul say? We're to be pitied. If we're going around saying this, and that's not true, for goodness sakes, I mean, we give our time, we give our money, we give our effort, we give our concerns. We're here today because we believe what? He is risen. He is Lord. He is God Almighty who gives us peace. He's the infinite benevolent God on the throne versus a finite man. They saw Caesar die. They saw the next Caesar die. And on it went till Nero. They die. That's not true with our God. We have what? The power of the Holy Spirit. They did not have that and that dominating force. All they had was the military. We have Holy Spirit. Go on, Matt, if you will. We have lasting peace versus temperate. They talked about peace. We'll conquer your lands. We'll give you peace. We have lasting peace, a different kind of peace, a kingdom forever versus a kingdom that ends. They're, they're constantly concerned about ending. What did he say? The gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. Salvation. And I put this in parentheses. I grew up in a fundamentalist church. Some of you may have too. Some of you may not know what that is. There was a lot of talk, a lot of teaching, all through the church today, about save from the penalty for my sins. I can die and go to heaven because my sins are forgiven. We often forget to talk about what salvation was. Salvation was deliverance from power, deliverance from, saving from something. We have the Holy Spirit, which is to give us the ability to be delivered from our sins. I shall save my people, he shall save his people from their sins. Not just the penalty for, but to save them from the sins, okay? And we have a present reality. And the reason I put this here, the church also does a great job of talking about imminence. The kingdom is going to be coming. It's there. It's going to come any time. It's there. But in reality, it's here. It's here and then, but it's present reality. Matt, please. You're the next one. Now, for those of you who think, well, that's the kingdom of God. He was proclaiming that to the Jews. And you may have Bibles that do that. There are Bibles that divide the, the teaching of Jesus up that way. This was offered to Israel. It doesn't apply to us today, and on and on it goes. But the writings of Paul, who went around founding the small churches around the, uh, uh, the waters there, had some very good things to say to those churches that reflect what Jesus was teaching and our great teachings for us today. At the beginning, and I forgot to say this, if I'd have brought my notes up, I would have remembered. Uh, we don't do very well about king when we think about kings. My wife just had me watching uh, The Crown with her, all these shows about the English monarchy. That was fascinating. And all the time, you think, oh, this is weird, man. King, queen, this is strange. We in America, that doesn't jive with us real well because we, we, we don't like a leader. We just vote them out. You know, four years old, we'll get rid of him. We'll vote her. We'll just vote him out. That's not true. We're the king. All right? So 
we have this um, interest uh, in America of, of democracy, and, 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 and we have a say in everything, right? The king is the king, right? He may be gone, he may have resurrected, but he's still the king of all. And Paul's going around creating these churches, reminding them when he writes this letter to the Ephesians, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our sins as we are forgiving those who sin against us. Paul said the same thing. So to those who want to draw the lines and say, oh, that applied there, it doesn't, it does apply. This is an expectation for us. We have the Holy Spirit. We are to be able to forgive one another. Now, before we get to the next slide, some of you who know me, I, I have, uh, we have these bugaboos, we all do, and we get off on these little tangents. And one of mine is this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about it for just a second. In the New Testament, the word you, Y-O-U, two out of three times is plural. When you and I read the Bible, we always think it's me. Me, that's American. Me, individual. Me, me, me. How does this apply to me? How does this apply to my life? When you're serving the king, it's how does it apply to advancing the kingdom? That's what he's interested in. This is to a group of people. This is to the saints at Ephesus, to the saints of Colossae. He's writing plural to these people. When they didn't read these scriptures, he would send a letter and they would read them to the people. And they would sit together like us and they would hear it read. And he's saying, you people at Ephesus, these are the things, all right? Do this, do this. As a whole, we need to do these things. Let's go to the next slide. Maybe it doesn't want to turn. Oh, okay, there we go. Oh. Well, it's very similar. It's from Colossians. And he says much the same thing, okay? Here's how I want us to wrap this up. If Paul was going to write a letter today to this church, if he had founded this church, what would he say? Would he commend us? Would he tell us all the good things we're doing? Would he rebuke us? Would he, would he write things that would make us shy away? Would we be anxious to see him come back and visit us? These are the things that the founder of the Gentile church that we are, of which we're a part, the letters are written to the church. So when we read these things, let's read them as a body this year. My point in this was to look back 2,000 years ago and to say, how does this little interval of time, these few years that Jesus walked this earth, how did that change things for us today? What are we supposed to be doing today as a body of believers together, coming together? When we walk through those doors, there's no rich, there's no poor. There's no educated, there's no uneducated. We are brothers, we are sisters, we are the body of Christ. That is the goal for the body of Christ today. When we walk in here today, we don't just come to hear me talk, a sermon from Jennifer or from Mike. That's part of why we come. 
We come because we are brothers and sisters. We share each other's burdens, fears of the world, concerns about disease. All of those things are minimized when you're surrounded by people that love you. That's the call. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples by your love one for another. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you, Lord. It's an amazing thing which we believe. Help us, Father, to reflect it. Help it to be real. Help it to be something that others see and others want. Help others to say, let's go see what's happening at Bethel. There's something special there. Thank you, Lord, for this time. We ask you bless these people as we go our way this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you that you came. We thank you that Jesus came into a dark world to show us the light, to show us the way. We thank you for the promise that he gave us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that guides us, that directs us, that empowers us. May we be pleasing to you this week as we walk out these doors to love and to serve you in a new and refreshing way. In Jesus' name, amen.